What's up? Welcome to the Wise Up Podcast presented by Wyzetta Community Ed. I'm your host, Zach Nelson, and today I'm joined by Ross Ryan. Ross is an auditor for the Wisconsin Legislative Audit Bureau. He's a Chicago sports fan. Don't hold that against him. He's still a smart guy, and he is my college roommate. Ross, how's it going today? Doing well, Zach. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for joining us. The reason I wanted to have Ross on is because Ross got his master's in public health from the University of Wisconsin a few years ago and remains connected with public health and epidemiology. And given what's going on in our country and the world today, there's a lot of a lot of things to talk about in that regard. Today, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into COVID-19, the novel coronavirus disease. We're not going to talk about infection rates. We're not going to talk about the political aspects of the virus. You all know where you can find that information. We're simply going to talk about the virus itself, try to fill you in on what it is, and hopefully answer some questions you might have. Sound good? Sounds good to me. And I'll just say before we dive in, um, I'd like to say that if anyone is looking for additional information, I personally find the CDC and WHO to be great sources. And if you're concerned at all about symptoms you're experiencing, uh, the best move is to call your primary care provider. Ross, generally speaking, what is a coronavirus? So coronaviruses are a uh, pretty large family of viruses that are found in people and different species of animals. Um, most commonly, they're found in animals like camels, cattle, uh, cats, and bats. But rarely, these animal coronaviruses can begin to infect people as new human coronaviruses. The uh, last notable example of that before COVID-19 was the SARS outbreak in 2002, if you remember that. What is this coronavirus specifically, COVID-19? So uh, the current thinking is that this outbreak of COVID-19 originated in a seafood and poultry market in Wuhan, China. And that began in late 2019, which is how it gets its name. Uh, coronavirus disease 2019 gets abbreviated to COVID-19. Common symptoms for this coronavirus include fever, uh, a shortness of breath, and a dry cough. How does COVID-19 spread? So the transmission of COVID-19 is still being studied. It's obviously pretty fresh, but um, the CDC has indicated that person-to-person -person transmission is the main way that the virus is spread. Um, it's thought to occur primarily through respiratory droplets produced when someone coughs or sneezes. So if these respiratory droplets land on you or something you come into contact with or you breathe them in, um, you become at risk of contracting the virus. And as public health professionals continue to learn about it, um, I'm sure the kind of methods of transmission are going to be updated and kind of refined over time, but that's thought to be the main way. So I think an important thing to clarify in that is if you become in contact with um, some particles from the virus, it's not automatic that you're infected, correct? Correct. So there's two ways in which the virus is said to spread. 
there's travel related spreading and community spread. Some of you might have heard a little bit about those two different ways in news articles. What's the difference between travel related spread and community spread? Yeah, so early on, the outbreak of COVID-19 was confined to a, a relatively small geographic area. And when countries began to experience their first cases of COVID-19, it was pretty easy to determine whether that person had recently been traveling to an area where the outbreak was occurring or was in close contact with someone that had recently been there. Uh, so that's kind of your, your travel-related transmission. Um, but with community spread, that's something that happens a little bit later on. And the distinction is that uh, you'll come across someone who has been infected with the virus like COVID-19, and you can't readily determine how they were infected. They have no connection to someone that was recently traveling abroad. They just happened to be in their community and somehow were infected. There's been a lot of different stories about pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic spreading of the virus. First, explain what both of those things are. So in really basic terms, um, a person can begin to infect other people with a virus once they themselves are spreading the virus. This is something called shedding. So you'll become sick with uh, COVID-19 in this case, and after some amount of time, you'll begin shedding it. Um, there is a chance that even when you're starting to shed the virus, you don't feel sick, you still feel healthy. Um, and maybe in a few days, you begin to show symptoms. So if you spread the virus at all before you started to feel sick, that's what we call pre-symptomatic uh, spreading of the virus. Asymptomatic is slightly different because potentially you'll never feel sick or you'll never exhibit the symptoms that are pretty common for other people. And when this happens, uh, we'll generally refer to that person as a carrier of the virus. Carriers can spread a virus without ever knowing they're sick, like I said. Uh, and in fact, the director of the CDC just said that this could be potentially occurring with COVID-19. The, uh, the main take home for both pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic spreading is that even if you're feeling healthy, you may not be entirely healthy. And it's kind of a good uh, lesson in avoiding close contact with others and trying to keep that social distance that everyone's been talking about. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to clarify that the CDC has said that generally speaking, it takes five to 14 days until you could show symptoms of the virus, you know, after you're initially infected by it. So that's why we have the 14 day uh, quarantine period that um, a lot of you have heard so much about. Um, that's where that stems from. So can you explain in a little more detail why the fact that someone is pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic, why that can be so dangerous when it comes to spreading of COVID-19? Yeah, I think uh, generally speaking, when, when you or I aren't feeling well, if we have a fever or uh, kind of a bad cough, 
we in general aren't feeling very productive and uh, that's when people will stay home and kind of ride it out until they're feeling better and ready to get back to work. But if you are pre-symptomatic where you've, you've been infected but you don't know it, you're still feeling great. You want to go about your day. You want to get to the grocery store, get, get supplies. You're going to work. You're interacting with coworkers. And in all of these contacts with other people, you, you could be spreading the virus without realizing it. So it's, it's tough. It can kind of hamper your, your day-to-day if you were potentially infected. But the best thing to do is kind of hunker down and, and make sure that you're not spreading something without knowing it. Yeah, I think a good comparison is I read that uh, SARS it was far less contagious and you couldn't spread it until you were showing symptoms. That's the key with SARS was that it was almost completely spread uh, following symptoms being shown. So you didn't have any of these people that were unaware that they had it, which is kind of what makes COVID-19 a little uh, bit more concerning. And um, like I said, it's just a, a good reason to stay home and socially isolate if you have that capacity. Yeah. And I think, you know, another aspect of this is, is the fact that this can be spreading through people that are pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic. Can you explain how difficult it makes it to track? Yeah, it, it makes it extremely difficult to track, especially if, if you have members of the population that never end up showing symptoms. The easiest situation in public health is you identify someone that isn't feeling well, uh, you get them the treatment that they need, and you test the people that they came into contact with. And through that strategy, you can, you can pretty effectively slow the virus down. But when you have asymptomatic uh, spreading, that is kind of under the radar for public health professionals. And with this uh, pre-symptomatic uh, situation as well, where this virus does take a while before it starts to kind of show symptoms within patients, um, there's just a lag time where the, the CDC and, and other public health professionals that are trying to uh, slow this down, they just are kind of always behind uh, where the virus actually is. So Ross, this might go without saying, but how can we protect ourselves? It's a good question. I, I think the, the World Health Organization actually has a pretty good uh, five primary actions that you can take uh, to make sure you're doing your best to stay protected from COVID-19. The first one, you've probably heard a lot about it, is washing your hands. And when you are washing your hands, you want to make sure you're doing it for at least 20 seconds and uh, do it often before meals. If you have to go out and you're touching surfaces that you aren't sure uh, who or what has been around them recently, it's always a good, good idea to be washing your hands. The second one is if you need to cough or sneeze, use your elbow. The elbow generally isn't something that can touch your face that easily. So it's a good it's a good idea to use that not only to keep your own hands from uh, becoming contaminated, but also to stop the potential particles that 
could be spread when you have to cough or sneeze from going too far. Yeah, I was on a uh, I was on a bike ride yesterday, and we came to a crosswalk, and there's a little button to cross, and I hit it with my elbow rather than my hand. I thought it was I felt pretty ingenious at the time, but it's just oh, yeah. little, little things like that. It's good thinking, and that kind of gets to like a whole broader conversation of why uh, we can't do a lot of the things we usually do that kind of define us as like a culture and a group of humans, like shaking hands. Uh, it's something that is so automatic and something you want to do, but in times like these, you kind of have to shrug off those norms and, and start to think about uh, how you can prevent a virus from spreading more easily. So the third action that the uh, World Health Organization suggests is uh, not touching your face. And if you're anything like me, you're starting to realize how often you absentmindedly touch your face. And if you are both keeping your hands clean and not touching your face, your risks of becoming infected go down dramatically. So I think both of those kind of can be filed under proper hygiene as like really helping to slow the spread of the virus. The fourth one is something that is really popular right now and is being suggested by most states in the country, but it's keeping a safe distance from others. There are a lot of great activities you can do outside, like you said, riding a bike, uh, taking the dog for a walk, going on runs. These are all great things we can do while we're kind of socially isolating, but it's best to try and keep six feet between you and others during your day-to-day -day routine, just to be sure. So then the last one is to stay home if you can. There are a lot of essential businesses and obviously healthcare professionals that don't have this luxury. But for the rest of us, it's something that we can really do to help uh, keep communities safe and to limit the spread of the virus. So we've heard it dozens of times now, flatten the curve. What does flatten the curve mean? So the curve is referencing the number of people currently sick with COVID-19. And in the popular graphic that's going around, there's also a line that shows just how many people our healthcare system can handle having the virus at once. The premise behind flattening the curve is basically thinking about the number of hospital beds we have available and trying to keep the number of infected people below that number if possible. So things like we just discussed, social isolation, washing your hands, not touching your face, these are all ways where we can slow the spread of the virus and make sure there isn't a large spike of cases at once that would overwhelm our healthcare system. There have been some reports based on initial studies that this coronavirus is not mutating. Explain what that means. Yeah, so I've actually seen that there are some epidemiologists at Harvard who are looking at this, and the reports are that the virus is changing, but there isn't evidence to suggest that any change so far has been significant enough to alter the way the virus is spreading. It does seem like COVID-19 is relatively stable, and researchers hope this stability is good news because when creating a, a vaccine, it's better to not have a moving target, if that makes sense. They kind of know 
what they're what they're working towards and hopefully it it doesn't change dramatically between now and then so basically when you say that the virus is stable that means it's not changing a whole lot from person to person transmission yeah sometimes you'll see in in an outbreak or sequential outbreaks that really different strains of a virus will be prevalent and that can make it harder to administer a vaccination because different strains will respond in different ways to vaccinations. So you might just have a vaccine that isn't all that useful. Could there be a seasonal aspect to COVID-19, meaning when the weather gets warmer, it will subside some? Yeah, this is certainly possible. Certain viruses like influenza have been shown to spread a lot more effectively when there's dry winter air prevalent. So you'll have spikes of flu during the winter and then in a warmer, wetter summer, it'll kind of go away. However, I should probably caution and say that predictions on how a new virus will behave are only predictions and they don't really help us all that much. If the virus doesn't go away and everyone was kind of banking on it in the summer, we could be in worse shape than if we had just kind of addressed it and tried to contain it and kind of not banked on that, if that makes sense. So basically, there's a chance based on past other viruses, but it's not something we should rely upon. Yeah, I think a lot of good work can be done before the summer that can hopefully make it a moot argument. So let's talk about vaccines. We've been told that a vaccine is a year to 18 months away. Why the length in time? So there are a number of stages that have to be completed for the creation of any new vaccine. First, you have to have a a vaccine candidate that has to be put through trials that begin in the lab where you're, you're testing cells kind of in a controlled situation. And once kind of these initial trials and safety steps are passed, you can start to test your vaccine, your vaccine on small groups of people moving towards larger groups of people. But it's, it's a lot of rigorous testing and making sure that both the vaccine is effective and that it also has no adverse effects on humans. These steps are all in place to make sure that when a vaccine is ready, um, it does the job it's meant to do and it's safe for everyone. So it is kind of a long process and 18 months on its face sounds kind of daunting and a long ways off, but it's, it's good practice and it ensures that we're all keeping safe. On the plus side, there's a lot of different pharmaceutical companies that are working on a vaccine. And I think that competition uh, is definitely a good thing in this regard. Yeah, and there are a lot of scientists that are actually pretty pleased with the level of information sharing that's happening right now. Instead of competing for the the newest scientific research article or um, being first to discover some important piece of information, there's a a large sense of camaraderie and teamwork in the scientific community that's certainly going to help. We've heard a lot about treatments for the virus. For example, the FDA has given emergency approval to some old drugs that have been used to treat 
other viruses in the past. What is the difference between a treatment for COVID-19 and a vaccine for COVID-19? Yeah, so these kind of treatments that you're discussing were used for other uh, afflictions, not necessarily related to coronavirus, but once testing is completed, it could be found that they're effective in helping patients that already have COVID-19 and are dealing with the symptoms. A vaccine, on the other hand, is preventative and would hopefully be administered to people who may not have ever had to deal with COVID-19, but it'll help them in the future. Typically, a vaccine is a version of the virus that can't infect you, but it allows your immune system to kind of size up the, the issue and figure out the best way to deal with it if it ever comes into contact with the real thing. So for context, it's like when a football team is practicing, the scout team pretends to be the other team's offense or defense during practice that week leading up to the game, and a vaccine functions similarly. It almost serves as a scout team for your immune system to get a grasp of what might be in store when the virus would potentially come along. Exactly. I would say that the Chicago Bears have had a poor vaccine uh, <laughs> in the, <laughs> the recent past, but hopefully it gets better. All right. This has been a lot of doom and gloom. Give us some things we can be optimistic about. Well, uh, even from my personal perspective, I've seen some positives to take away from this. I don't think the general public has thought that they needed to wash their hands for 20 seconds at a time before this outbreak. But it seems like something that could become a, a learned behavior where everyone is a lot more conscientious about washing their hands and making sure their hands are clean after they touch public services. And that can only help us in the future when the next outbreak happens. In addition, I've, I've seen a lot both online and personally of communities rallying behind each other. People are trying to buy local, they're staying home to help our healthcare system, and they're checking in on their friends and loved ones via social media, be it video calls or care packages, what have you. You can feel the sense of community and that everyone's in this together, and our combined efforts really have the chance to, to make this virus's impact a lot more muted. And that doesn't feel like a huge silver lining now, I'm sure, but I think a strong sense of community during this time of adversity is going to be a good thing for us moving forward. Yeah, it's been really cool to see people get creative with how they communicate with people, how they talk with people. Many workplaces have gotten creative in how they meet with fellow coworkers or clients. So there's, there's a lot of technological creativity going on and a lot of things in that regard that hopefully will stick with us. Again, we urge you to go to the CDC website, WHO, or your local Department of Health uh, website to learn more about the virus. Um, in the meantime, stay safe and be happy, be healthy, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Ross for joining us, and thanks to all of you for listening. Please subscribe to Interview Our Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are on Apple, Google, and Spotify. If you haven't done so already, check out our community ed blog. It's on our website, wisettaschools.org slash community ed. We'll be back on Friday 
with some board game reviews that you won't want to miss. Ways to keep yourself entertained during isolation. So thanks again, and we'll talk to you Friday.